Hi, everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome, everybody, to today's Majesco's Industry Leaders podcast series. I am thrilled today to have Scott Shapiro, the U.S. leader for KPMG Insurance Advisory Practice, with me. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Denise. It's great to be with you today. I think we're going to have some fun, Scott, knowing you and I. Talking about our favorite topic, right? Insurance, the future of insurance and all things related. I'm looking forward to it as well. So Scott, one of the things I'd like to do for the audience is to have have you give a little bit of background about yourself, KPMG and our partnership, just so everybody's kind of got a perspective about your background and the context of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, thank you. I'm a principal here at KPMG. I do look after the insurance advisory practice, which is everything that we offer to our clients. As you know, as a big four firm, we we have a very strong audit practice. We have a tax practice. We have our advisory practice, Uh, whether it's consulting skills or technology implementations, M&A, it's full breadth of service, thousands of clients that we're working with to uh, really bring, help them improve their operations, grow their business and and navigate these uh, challenging times, which are also filled with opportunity. I've been with the firm for 11 years. I came from industry. I I did a 22-year stint at the Hartford, mostly in areas of operations, including running data and analytics shop. I I ran one of their field offices, ran a few of their businesses, and just learned a lot about the insurance industry. And when the opportunity came to join KPMG 11 years ago to kind of take all that experience and bring it forward, it's just been a wonderful uh, career path and we are having fun every day. And we're doing some fun things together, I know. So one of the things, you know, when we were together at your event last fall, you talked about objectives for digital transformation for insurers, one being modernize the IT, two being improving the customer experience, and three being increasing business agility to better serve that customer. Talk about these and what insurers specifically are doing to transform their business and why I think it's even more important as we go into 2023, given a lot of the the financial challenges that we see out in the marketplace. I'll take each one and, uh, you know, we can, we can certainly go deeper, but let's start with this one that we share in our partnership, which is modernize IT. And uh, certainly that's been an objective uh, of the industry for decades. And it's a journey I don't think you, you ever stop. As the technology advances, as the consumer orientation around the technology advances, it is a nonstop, relentless journey to be the best you can possibly be, you know, to balance which all the challenges that we have, not least of which, of course, is cost and time. And so, you know, I reflect on our relationship, and I think we've been working together for over three years now. We dedicate large swaths of our practice to implementing and remediating and 
optimizing and re-engineering all different kinds of IT systems and processes. I think as long as I've been in the business, IT and insurance has sometimes been met from the senior executive level as more of a challenge, sometimes even a, a drag, I'll use that term, than an enabler. And that's just because we were one of the original industries to use technology at scale, certainly to use data in a robust way. And so we have a little bit of a burden of being very early in this game. And the game changes so rapidly that constant reinvestment, new ways of doing things are, are on the horizon. And I'll, I'll leave you with one other thought on this one, which is often asked the question, you know, there's two kind of ways of modernizing as far as we look at it. One is through core system implementation. You know, which certainly we, we implement your products. And then the second is in more of the, the low-code, no-code, rules-driven, user-based interfaces, which may not have the complete depth of functionality, but much lower cost and implementation time. And the question is, you know, can you, will we ever stop implementing multiple year, X millions of dollars, large transformations of software implementation? I'll be honest, I don't know the answer. I do think eventually somebody is going to crack this code, but right now it's a combination of core system implementation and upgrades wrapped around some excellent lower code system capabilities that we kind of think is the sweet spot going forward in the foreseeable term. And that means that you can keep some of your major systems in place longer, get more out of their life and upgrade through that veneer or that front end. But equally so, and there's controversy around this, ultimately we see upgrading your fundamental systems just from a security currency standpoint, service level standpoint, skill set standpoint, that's still equally important. So that was a lot on IT. I want to pivot now to customer experience quickly. This one I've been thinking about for the 32, 33 years that I've been doing this. And to say many of our clients and, and certainly as executives, nobody would dispute that having the customer at the center of your business model and enabling the appropriate customer experience is a high, if not the highest priority for many of our companies. The challenge that we have there is that in most of the industry has grown up around product, not around customer. And so whether it's regulated by product or the P&L of our companies are run by product, all the infrastructure has been built in large measure around product. And therefore customer can and has at times taken the second seat to product issues. I don't believe that we will flip the entire world that the customer becomes, you know, the P&L of the industries that will be regulated that way, et cetera. I think our business is too complicated. It's too many products, too many different kinds of exposure for that to happen in, in the immediate term. But given the current environment, there is much to do to improve customer experience and make the smart bets that are gonna give you the highest return. So we believe in this one fundamentally because the infrastructure here kind of fights against this at times and you have to be ever vigilant. And with new technologies, processes and capabilities, there's some really exciting work there. And then the last one is just the business agility to serve. 
just like we need to be oriented around our customers in a different way. The way we think about our business internally, the way we work, the tools that we use, the processes that we use, even the way we're organizationally structured, that is also an area where you have to be ever vigilant to look at, are you getting in your own way or are you optimizing for the resources and investments that you've made? Just a lot of hard work. I think it starts with a mindset, but if you don't do that last piece, you can do all the things to delight the customer and improve your technology footprint. If your people inside the shop are not oriented around it, trained in it, understand it, you won't get the full advantage. You know, you made me think of something, Scott, that you and I've talked about and we write about and talk about a lot from our customer research is that customers look at a product these days, both from the standpoint of the risk product, the customer experience, and the value-added services that they have. And the combination of those three elements really are what customers are looking for. What you talk about here is really something that ties all of that together. You really need some modern solutions. You've got to have that customer experience and then that agility to better serve. That means to add some value-added services along with the risk product that really meets the needs of the customer beyond just the risk product, such as maybe prevention of risk, those types of things. When we talk about service, it is not a monolithic, one-size-fits-all mantra. I mean, we all want to say that we're going to, you know, say delight a customer or leave a customer highly satisfied, have a terrific net promoter score. Absolutely the case. But the diversity of our customer base, we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of the products that we provide, where customers are in their own expectations vary so dramatically that the only way to really do this effectively, there's, there's two ways to do this effectively. One is be extremely narrow in your offering, know it so well that you dominate and create the experience. And, and there are companies like that, but the vast majority of our companies are multi-line, multi-product. And the only way we think to ultimately get there then is through very robust data and analysis and truly understanding both the customer behavior, the distributor behavior, and the employee behavior. And so we do have a little bit of a bias that all of this behavior is captured in systems and it can be studied through that study. Programs and policies and segmentation can come in place that deliver a better experience ultimately. And so that's how we think about that. Yeah, let's kind of dive into that data and analytics a little bit more because I think of this concept about one size doesn't fit all anymore. It's really about leveraging that customer data, but there's a lot of underused data within insurers that really is the beating heart of, of the future of the, uh, of the business. Talk about some insight into what you're seeing on a very kind of forward-thinking perspective, some of the insurers are doing to really take much more of a strategic focus, while at the same time, it's really probably helping operationally. You're right, and that data is the beating heart. Uh, it is the fuel, it is the oil in the system. So it's a commodity that has tremendous value. And I, and I do think if you know we were able to quantify that value on a balance sheet, some companies may even restack their priorities to put even more expertise and investment into getting the best data you can. The good news is there is a lot of data in insurance. I, I do meet with many companies and most will bemoan their data. It's because, you know, sometimes you don't have a full perspective and there is no perfection in data. That's the perfection is the enemy of, of, of getting a project done. 
There is something called very good enough. You, you have to develop that within your own understanding of working with information. And then there are tools and techniques that are actually using more robust science to assess quality of data, pre-filled data, use external data sources to validate. All of this ecosystem around data is essential that we keep going. We've all gotten burned in the past with very large data programs that have not fully realized value, but through good execution in the tools today, that need not be the case. And I would just encourage everybody, don't stop on the data. It is perhaps the strongest asset you have on your balance sheet. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's really required to be able to really give those digital customer experiences. And I know one of the books you like to talk about is The Digital Mindset by Paul Leonardi and uh, Tesdall Neely, because mindset and how they kind of define this, how we make sense of the world is really the essential element to unlock value that we're talking about here about customer experience, customer agility, leveraging data, and how insurers can unlock that value. Talk about that book, how insurers need to really think about unlocking that value. It's that term mindset that I think has so much power. I think it was uh, Carol DeWick who had growth mindset. This is a digital mindset. So that's what really got unlocked a lot of thinking for me. And when it comes to a digital mindset, it is an acknowledgement that all of us, no matter where we fit into the organization, or the value chain, need to have a certain level of competency and understanding around topics, you know, that you know, people maybe have some reluctance that they'll never be able to understand, you know, advanced analytics. That's not true. We can all have a certain amount of currency and we need to, because also the roles of the past are just not as clearly defined as they used to be. When I was growing up in industry, and this still exists to certain degrees, you know, when you get large organizations, let's be honest about it, right? You have to go deep into your subject matter, right? So people spend, you know, years, decades learning things. That's why communication and empathizing with other job roles is so important because there's not just a clean line. In a digital world, there's not just an IT person, just a data person, just a business person. All three of those and, and many others need to adopt a digital mindset. And when you do that, you start to empathize with other functions, you start to learn more, and the gray area in between can be filled. That will give you competitive advantage. One of the challenges I think that insurers have is that there's such a huge growth in data, not wow. just data from an operational standpoint, but new sources of data, you know, particularly from telematics and IoT and imagery and all kinds of stuff. Not all data is created equal. It really can help you kind of get better insights and agility to make better decisions, particularly, I think, as we come off of uh, 2022, where a number of insurers are really challenged with loss ratios that are well above 100 and, you know, some losses. What are the opportunities in using this data, but also what are the challenges and how are you helping insurers kind of address that? The opportunities is that we believe you have to start in this game. You want to get wins. You need to be able to demonstrate value from your various projects. So what we like to do when we start is we take a very use case based approach across the value chain. So whether it's product and underwriting where the science is, you know, is pretty deep or it's sales and distribution behavior or it's service that we talked about earlier and certainly things like claims. 
taking large swaths of the value chain, getting use cases, implementing projects, delivering value end to end. And so there's a few things about that that we'd say. First of all, there is being in this for a while, there is a whole bunch of no regret projects that are out there now that have proven themselves to work. You know, so if you're relatively new at this, I start there. These are published in, you know, industry periodicals, uh, consultants can speak to their value, et cetera. So, you know, give yourself a break there. Don't try to tackle the most difficult problems never been solved before. You're relatively new in the game. There's plenty, plenty to do. The second thing I would say, one of the things that I think about, you hear the term AI, machine learning, and I am encouraged by the new technology chat GBT. Are you familiar with this at all, Denise? Yeah, uh, I am. So here's why I think that has a lot of promise uh, and, and we will see, but whenever my experience with technology is, you know, that William Gibson quote, he's an author, kind of near futuristic stuff that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. You've heard this. So it's all there. Okay, first of all, every possible, I do believe this, every possible data element, every possible technology for what we want to do for the rest of our working life is just about there. It exists, right? Even quantum computing is getting close to business, though. We're not academics and we're not technologists. You know, we are business people and business people only make money with technology once it scales. And in order for technology to scale, in my experience, you need to have an effective interface. And that's what ChatGBT promises for AI. And I'll, I'll give you two quick examples in the, in the past. Remember the internet when it first started? The internet didn't scale at all until Mozilla and Netscape created a user-friendly interface that then that gave broad access and all those minds piled in, went through the roof. Many of Apple's products, their applications out through the App Store, the, all those are, are easy to use interfaces. That's what scales technology. So the reason why AI has not hit scale yet, in my view, is because it has not had that interface. Well, one is coming, we'll test it. So I, I bring that up, those that are solving problems Always be thinking not only about the, you know, the coolness of the technology and the insights and the brilliance of it all. What is the interface that's going to allow it to scale? And that has to be easy to use, democratized, so that you get as many brains as possible on, this, on these uh, platforms and, and these technologies. Then the thing blows up. You can't catch it. And we know what the implications of that are for insurers. It really uh, gets back to lost opportunities, but also impacts customers' experiences for us very much. Where do you see the top priorities in embedding and using data analytics in the value chain? You know, there's been, I think from the insure tech world, we've seen a lot of startups in data and analytics, a lot focused on claims, some focused on underwriting, but there's a lot of opportunities across the whole value chain. Where do you see those priorities in that whole area? That's exactly right. I, I, the product underwriting and claim space, while there's still a ton of opportunity to segment better, whether it's segmenting risk or it's segmenting workflow, which is you know, primarily what those two functions do. There is tons of opportunity to tackle lines of business that haven't been tackled, to fill out the data, everything we talked about, new techniques, et cetera. I think is the most 
undervalued part of the value chain today is on the front end of the business, customer, sales function, and the service function. And I think that's where, if you want to create differentiation, that's where I advise you start to double down on your investments. They've been underserved. There's advantage to being super strong there. You know, and it's interesting because, again, our business is so huge. Property and casualty-oriented businesses and certainly the personal and small commercial lines are at a different level of maturity than, obviously, the, the larger commercial lines and, and even some of the life and retirement products. I've been spending a lot of time in the life and retirement space, and I actually think that the because the products and claim functions there are not as segmentable. I'll just use that term. The real action is in that sales process and that customer interaction. We know that the life insurance and retirement products are more sold than they are bought. And therefore, the rigor that needs to be put on CRM systems, internal processes, sales effectiveness, conversion, cross-sell, retention. I get really excited about the possibility. And then you layer that on because that's what ultimately is going to affect the customer. And I do think, by the way, Denise, maybe that's why there is a little trepidation on these spots sometimes, because you do have to realize this, right? Data analysis is not perfect science. It is probabilities. You know, you try to get high probabilities. You know, there is a little bit of an error in there. And I do think that's where there's a natural tendency to say, hey, be careful of this customer experience. But what I would say there is, the neglect is having more harm. You're just not quantifying it. You know, you put in a good program, you will find some false positives. You will learn as you go. All that stuff's happening today. You're just doing it with a lot more intent. So for insurers who are embarking down this road around data and analytics, what should be their first steps and priorities? Do you think, Scott? Well, I, I do think it is an assessment across your value chain of where your capabilities are closest to being executed match with the market opportunity. And so, I mean, there are tools and methodologies to pretty quickly identify those best projects. And then what I would say is you execute those best projects end to end. You do not do these things in a data silo. I, where I, I tell you where I have seen the biggest issues with data science in an organization, and they're real, right? There are people that are just you get two types of people sometimes that make it difficult for 98% of the other people. One are the zealots, right? The data zealots who believe that no matter what, the data is the data and that's the answer. And, you know, to that, I'd say you got to back off that a little bit, you know, because it is probabilistic and uh, I am certainly a data zealot and, and an analytical zealot, but I'm not blind to the fact that nothing is perfect. It's, it's backward looking and the world's constantly changing. So you have to be comfortable with some ambiguity. And then the other ones that are a challenge for us are, are, are those that don't believe in data at all, or that, you know, they just want to kind of live the world on their instinct in their own subjective way of looking at the world. Both types are dangerous to the pursuit of, of excellence. And the answer is really in between and, and not all that hard to necessarily do. But in order to do that, then these projects need to be sponsored end to end across the organization. Bottom line is if you're going to do an data analytic project, you have to look across the value chain, where is every touch point? And if you don't have sponsorship from each one of those groups, you're going to run into adoption down the line. Flat out. And by the way, you're going to run into adoption down the line anyway. 
And that's why we take a design thinking approach to implementation. So we start with the users. How is the user going to experience this insight, this change, this program? There are tools to get at it. It requires some different thinking than, you know, the old waterfall, siloed, put it in, don't ask any questions approach. I think we've learned from those mistakes. I think we have. With such a background that you have in the work that you're doing with insurers and the work that you did inside an insurance company, how do you see the future of insurance in the next three to five years, Scott? I'll tell you, Denise, this is factually true. 32 years here, for 32 years, I've been predicting massive disruption in the insurance industry. And I've not been right about that in terms of the kind of disruption that we've seen happen to retail you know, for example, or even auto manufacturing has yet to occur in our system. My mindset though, is that it happens every day in every way. And those that are best positioned will eke out an advantage along the way. And then if, and when significant change does occur in our industry, which is still very possible, right? I know we're highly regulated. We're essential to the economy. We're a risk-based business. So we We have different priorities around even growth versus profit. But given all of that, a technology like chat, DBT, a low-code orientation at scale, a customer behavior element that we just don't foresee, like the pandemic, which stirred up lots of different buying behavior, changes to the distribution (laughs) channel. All of this is possible. And the way you embrace it and win, because we love to talk disruption intellectually until it happens. You know, the pandemic was a disruption. Nobody wants to go through that again. Disruptions can be painful and ugly, honestly, really, by definition, even for those of us that are change hardy. And the way to take advantage of those coming disruptions, because I don't know what they'll be or when they'll come, is to every day in every way practice these disciplines, this mindset, implementing these tools, capabilities, and changes in your organization. That's the best you can do. And we all have a lot of work to do to get there to embrace that mentality. And that's kind of mission for me with you guys together is helping our clients do that because what a blast it can be. When you transcend disruption, it's like riding a wave, right? Ignore it. It's like getting crashed by one. But you know, I think Scott, I think we often think disruption is like an event or something that's going to just like totally change everything. I think what's been happening, particularly over the last probably 10 years Since, you know, the financial crisis, when we really saw a lot of innovation started emerging, differences in how digital is used is that that disruption has been slowly building. And I think it's kind of like something that we don't really recognize until all of a sudden it kind of hits you in the face. So I think it's just been building. It's that, you know, the frog in the boiling water kind of a thing. Exactly. Exactly. It is that. And I I think that is the way it's going to be in large measure, because that's the way it's been. Like I said, and there's no reason to get frustrated by that. I know a lot of us do get frustrated. Like, you know, why are we still dealing with some of the mainframe systems, right? You know, you go on and on and on. I would compartmentalize that and focus on the opportunity side of the equation, which as far as I can tell with every client that I have, still endless. So Scott, great conversation. But the way I like to kind of wrap things up, and I've done this with every podcast And to put the pressure on you, I've only had one or two duplications um, in all the podcasts that we have done. So if you could pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? 
when I think about the future of insurance, I'll tell you the word that comes to mind, and I know it's, it may require some explanation, but essential. And I know that it sounds kind of like, what do you mean? But insurance, the function of insurance, the value of insurance is flat out essential to the future growth of the entire economy and world. And so I think it's that element of essential that's those of us that kind of come to this business, right? We very few of us, you know, very few want to come in, very few leave because we see the value that our products and services provide to the world, to people, to businesses, to governments. And with that almost, with that responsibility comes a huge obligation for us to remain essential going forward, which means all the things we talked about before are not nice to haves, they're required for the constituent that's relying on us, which happens to be, Denise, the whole world. Couldn't agree with you more. We really allow the world to operate businesses, countries, people, because we take care and manage the risk so people can actually do things. Couldn't agree with you more, Scott. So thanks so much for the conversation today, Scott. It's been great. I think that we're on the verge of some really great opportunities around data and analytics and around customer experience. And I know our partnership together will help our joint customers really kind of bring those to the forefront. So looking forward to it, Scott. Thank you, Denise. Thank you to Majesco for your leadership in bringing us into the modern world. Thank you for taking your time for this series. It's been a blast. Same here. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.